Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Blister Cinematic on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, Cody Townsend and I are taking it back to 2004 to revisit Matchstick Productions' incredible film, Yearbook. This film is extraordinary in a number of ways that we will break down in this conversation. And the film also functions today as a really good reminder of why our Blister Plus membership and the accompanying injury insurance is a pretty fantastic idea. My goodness, dear Lord, the amount of ragdolling in this film, you know, in addition to absolutely world-class skiing, it's remarkable. But yeah, if this film came out today, I think Blister Plus would need to be one of the presenting sponsors of the film because pretty much everybody in it really should have had it in their back pocket. So anyway, yeah, just a reminder, folks, our Blister Plus membership and injury insurance If you don't know what we're talking about, we'll include a link in the show notes of this episode. Check it out. Get yourself signed up. Get yourself covered. And then, I don't know, be inspired to go ragdoll everything like your favorite skiers do in yearbook. And now, folks, as the song goes, it's time. So here we go. Well, Cody, welcome back to Blister Cinematic. Our topic today, the film Yearbook, and you had said this is a film you wanted to discuss. Why are we talking about Yearbook? I mean, it's one of the more memorable films in the almost decade-long run of very memorable and award-winning films from MSP, one that stands out. And I think one of the things I took away from rewatching this, the biggest thing to me was it represented a little bit of a sea change in the athletes. We, we see a shift and a new generation coming in yearbook specifically, going from almost five years to the decade prior of the signature names dominating ski movies to all of a sudden, like kind of a reversal of that script. And this whole new generation coming into the ski movie scene, into professional skier, skierdom, and kind of a new generation of even how you approach the mountain. I think that's why it stood out for its time. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of reasons that, you know, it's memorable, but I think it was so memorable because of this generational shift that this movie sort of represented. A couple of facts about the film. Uh, In my research... I came across that the film came out on September 16th, 2004. It's 71 minutes long. And so we will next year be at the 20th anniversary of this film. Um, it was directed by Steve Winter, uh, produced by Steve Reska. And here is the official teaser slash studio description of the film. School is in session, featuring the honor students of skiing performing at the top of their game. Classrooms include Bellacoola, BC, Aspen, Colorado, and the Alps of Norway. Senior class member Shane McConkie returns with a per- senior class member Shane McConkie returns with a performance of a lifetime 
ski basing across the Alps and absolutely schooling his home of Lake Tahoe, California. Sophomores Tanner Hall, Mark Abma, and Eric Pollard deliver the best all-around segments in skiing. The freshman class of Ingrid Backstrom and Tanner Rainville will open people's minds to the next level of skiing. Uh, This class of 2004 proves to be the best in skiing's history. So that's the description. And that last sentence I just read, the class of 2004 proves to be the best in skiing's history. Almost 20 years later, I think it's pretty hard to argue against that claim. I agree. I think it's actually stood the test of time um, for what was performed in this movie. It's it is mind blowing revisiting this film. I mean, it just feels like more recently you could take two or three of the people in this film and they would anchor it. There's more than a dozen kind of a listers, you know, in skiing in this film. Um, it's, it's actually shocking to kind of revisit that as evidence for this. Candide Thovex is in this film, and that is not mentioned until four minutes and 10 seconds into it. And Shane McConkie doesn't appear until more than 19 minutes into this film. If that gives you any sense of what we're talking about here, that doesn't happen, you know, later. Uh, if Candide is in a film, you know that from the first second in. And so it is staggering how stacked this film is. Yeah. And that's even like we know Candide as a ski god Mm -hmm. at this point. But even back then, he already achieved that status. So to have him just kind of like a little extra bit part does show how stacked this roster was. I mean, I'd say 70% of the people within this movie like continued for a very long time within the ski industry Um, that and maybe even went their separate ways. Like a few years after this film is kind of when you started to see like this core, this roster start to splinter to make their own films, do their own unique things, film with other film companies, you know, starting to see that. But I think this was like the film that had like the most stacked roster by any film of the time um the other thing you know maybe we'll get into this a little bit further but like seth morrison plays like a bit part in this film and (sighs) has what is the most disappointing segment of probably his career and it almost doesn't feel too bad the film is still incredible i remember being personally like bummed when you get into the film and like you watch Seth and then he just goes on to describe like having the worst season he's ever had. And I just remember being bummed the first time I see it. Cause all you want to see is Seth hate hucking himself off hundred foot cliffs. And this is following up a segment from focus the, the year before, which we'll, we'll do that film at some point yeah. where he's doing stuff that was just absolutely superhuman, mind blowing for this time. And so to see like, him not have that segment i remember being like oh let down but the rest of the cast really still holds this whole film up and again from the revisiting this film um those are two different things and so i i like that you brought that up like when it came out in the moment you felt this maybe bit of disappointment and this time revisiting it i (laughs) i disappointment was not my mood uh when it came to like you know, what we were seeing out of Seth and and some of the others here. 
I think we should. Uh, I don't have this written down, so this will be off the top of my head. But we've mentioned Shane McConkie. Uh, we've talked about Candide. We've got Ingrid Backstrom. We've got JT Holmes. We've got Chris Davenport. We've got Mark Abma, Eric Pollard. Do you want to take over? Hugo Harrison, Tanner Hall, Davenport, C.R. Johnson, uh, Vinnie Dorian, Steele Spence, Sarah Burke. Like, it's just I, like Corey I started Bushfield. listing out. We, we forgot. Yeah, like, Bushy. It's crazy. Like, that's what we yeah. mean. Um, this is I mean, do you, can you think of anything else in terms of a film with more star power that would approach yearbook? Mm, off the top of my head no i mean you look at okay i want to go to the hit list which was the very next film and the roster in that has a lot of the same people but you know i think tanner and cr didn't film with them that year i think eric pollard didn't film with them that year so although it had you know mainstays like mcconkey and abma um ingrid by that point like a lot of this roster had already kind of moved on to do their own thing, get their movies produced by other people. I think there was like Dubsky 106 came out and, you know, Tanner and CR started doing their own uh, stuff with, and uh, I don't know if inspired media was uh, there yet, but you know, it just, all of a sudden you saw the splintering the very next year from, from this film. So, and when, when should we talk about, I think I, we'll get into it in a certain way, but I don't even know where to talk about Ingrid. Is this where we just move into kind of, our most rewatchable scenes and we can maybe it sort of comes up in in that conversation do you want to start what we're what and this is where we'll just name some of maybe our contenders um and then we can see if we actually get to a consensus of a favorite our our shared favorite rewatchable scene but um let's let's get some contenders out there i mean to me the most rewatchable scenes it boils down to two segments and that's abma's section and ingrid section huh. and that's all i had granted the rest of the movie is strong those two segments steal the show and for for different reasons i want to kind of break them both down so let's hear what you what are your kind of most rewatchable i mean when overseer's song slade comes on and you have this super heavy beat and this guy yelling over and over it's time it's time and then you have Mark Abma standing there looking like the most badass human being ever. That gives me goosebumps every single time that comes on. And I feel like if I just watched that scene another thousand times, I would get that exact same goosebump experience every time I watched it. So it's funny because it's not even anybody skiing. But that moment for me is just an all timer, I think. I I got goosebumps when you were kind of describing it. Right. It's, because like just I mean, even the opening B roll with Abma and just like with that song, the overseer song, and it's like kind of pretty representative of the music of the time yeah. and what this whole movie has. Like a lot of rap rock. Yeah. But that song works. Oh my and god. And that song was one of the greater opening songs. It doesn't take the top spot. There's another Abma segment that takes the top spot for the greatest opening song in ski movie history, but it is up there. And I think like just like I, it really does feel like you're like, imagine yourself in a theater yes. and it's, you know, you've just gone through the athlete intros is really hilarious opening this, like the, the athlete introductions, which they did at that time, mm -hmm. which was actually kind of more ski shots. 
And then you start to like go, it gets quiet and then goes the it's time and that, that beat and just like how like electric the crowd was at that time. It's just like, this is a perfect way to open up a ski movie. And it's the one movies like this, that opening was why I theorized for 20 years that ski movie premieres will never die because of that feeling that you get in a collective crowd watching an opening segment together. Uh, ski movie premieres aren't dead, but they are declining, which is a bummer. Um, uh, but like that moment of, of that tingle down your spine, that feeling you get getting like so psyched to just go watch one of the most mind blowing segments you've ever seen. Because back then we couldn't see anything Emma did all damn season yeah. and come back with this entire segment. Just like, Ooh. um, yeah. And you know, breaking down Emma's segment a little bit more, like this was an era when there was a lot of talk about the, or it became kind of a joke, a, a meme for the era of, you know, take the park, take the tricks from the park yeah. to the backcountry. There was continually like, Oh, we want to take, the park to the backcountry, take the park to the backcountry. And there was a few people kind of doing it, you know, Pep's legendary segment. Um, but like in ultimately, like this was the first time I saw a park oriented skier that could ski as well as the big mountain skiers mm. and ski lines and was doing like it was the most well-rounded segment I'd ever seen at that time. I think this segment is why Abney became an icon and quite often a lot of pro skiers favorite skier for the next 15 years mm. um, because he showed such versatility. I mean, you had everything from that incredible like rock and rhyme ride um, up in Bella Coola, which was just that had to be like four or five hundred feet long, nearly vertical and just pinning it almost on a little bit of edge on a skim of rime ice yeah. on top of slick granite that which was a like line of the year as its own to you know hitting park booters um to hitting backcountry jumps spinning both ways stylish grabs and then even hitting some big mountain lines like it was as it was the most well-rounded performance of skiing to that point and it was the first time you kind of see like oh these park skiers they might be able to to keep up with these big mountain skiers, which were at the time very separate. Yep. Like park skiers were skiing park and backcountry skiers were skiing backcountry. And it was like two very divided kind of worlds yep. of specialty. So uh yeah, admin section. Oof, I watched that. I mean I I watched it over. I before I finished this movie, I went back yep. and watched it again because yep. I was like, yeah, it was so good. Okay, so now do we talk about Ingrid? I think we have to. Yeah. Because this was one of the most important segments of its time. And it's actually funny because before, when I suggested we watch Yearbook, and I remember it in my mind, I actually thought Ingrid had opening, opening segment. Hmm. Because that, to me, was my long-term takeaway, that Ingrid killed it so hard that she was the actual opener to this film. But then it doesn't matter that she's actually second in this film because it starts truly with Abma's segment and then goes into Ingrid's segment. But like that knowledge that like she felt like she's the opener and just shows like how mind blowing it was for this time. Because at that time, there were very few women in ski movies. And when they were, 
they had usually minor parts, parts in uh, split segments is either a travel segment or shared a song with another athlete and kind of were just in there for a little bit. There'd been kind of more some full segments. I remember Wendy Fisher, um, Jamie Burge and some more independent films. There was, they were out there, but this segment was so mind blowing that like it absolutely put Ingrid on the map for the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. Like this is, was her breakout and it changed a generation of women skiing. Like, you know, when I, when I told Elise we're doing yearbook, like the first thing that pops in her head is Ingrid and how mm -hmm. she was not a pro skier at the time. I actually hadn't met her at the time. And she's like, that was the reason I decided to move down to Tahoe. Um, that was the reason I decided to not go to law school and, mm -hmm. you know, just go ski for a year. Like she, Ingrid with that segment changed women skiing and the ski industry forever. And I have more to say for that, but I just, let's leave it on that positive side of things. Cause like, it's, it's mind blowing what she did. No one had skied as good as that, as she did in that segment that I'd ever seen before. The other thing, if we're being honest here, rewatching it, I fell in love with Ingrid again in about four seconds. Like it just immediately just, I'm like, it's so good. This cool person just shredding. And I, I actually found myself thinking a little bit about this. Really good female big mountain skiers. I think there is a parallel here with elite female tennis players where hmm. sometimes I think, when I think about like some of my favorite skiers and specifically just like what skiers make the best turns, for me, I do often just naturally think about, I think about Wendy Fisher. I think about your wife, Elise, Angel Collinson, and Ingrid. And when you go to think about like the best female tennis players, sometimes, I, and I don't, I don't know if this totally holds up, but sometimes if you think about tennis, men kind of do a bit of the just, it's about brute force. It's about sheer power. And I think there is a beauty and elegance. While obviously in this day and age, like there are incredibly powerful female tennis players and skiers, but there just is something like you recently actually posted a thing, right? Like you and Elise, whose whose yeah. turns do you prefer? And I have to confess, I was like Elise. And I there's something I don't know how to talk about this exactly, but some of my favorite athletes to watch actually make turns on the mountain it's uh, it's a number of women and i i would say mm -hmm. the same thing about watching tennis there is a there is a beauty mixed with power um mixed with grace mixed with elegance an aesthetic that i think holds up extremely well is that weird or do you get where i'm coming from on that no 100 percent. and like let's reference that video that elise and i did a collab post on and you can tell, like, we both have a very similar foundation. We're mm -hmm. both racers. We mm -hmm. both had our shoulders level, our knees were driving forward, and we are powering through our turns in, like, a very kind of, like, compact form. But there is one thing that she did a little bit more than I. I'm, like, driving my hips 
end of the turn. Like I'm trying to force it like really heavily push against the snow and have the snow and mesquite push back against me. And she kind of dropped her hip a little Mm. bit. And then her inside hand just was able to kind of drag a little bit. And uh, whether that's natural flexibility, whether that's like getting more angles to, cause I'm overcompensating with strength, whatever it is, like there's something that I can see in that. Like one of the things I've noted is in golf, like of all things, by far the most beautiful swings, huh. the swings that I've like huh. looked at and tried to be like, that's what you got to emulate are the women's swings. Interesting. Cause like Rory McElroy trying to like crank out a 400 yard drive, like there's no chance I could ever do that. And like, he's, I don't know, so scientific and strong and trained to do that. But then you watch this one, uh, golfer named Nellie Corda and she has the most smooth swing you could ever imagine. And you're like, that's what I need to get. I need to work on that. And it's, it's interesting because I do think it does hold up. There's a lot, and I I don't want to say it's like beauty, but there's just something different quite often that reflects more nuance in the act of a turn in the act of it. But Back to, Ingrid. Back to Ingrid, like, like yes, she has that, but she was absolutely charging. Yes. That opening line yes. in Bella Coola yeah. um, on the east face of Mount Sogstead, which was named after my uh, wife's great great grandpa. Mm. Um, that opening line, I mean, I've stood on top of that line, I've skied it. It is very steep. It is very gnarly to pick up your feet in the first thirty feet straight line and hit like 20 foot air into a 3000 foot face that is steeper than any ski run in North America. You can ski and come out of that going like 65, 70 miles an hour. Like she also was charging harder than I've ever seen. And it was like, I mean, yeah, it changed women skiing. The negative side of this, I want to talk about too, because although it was amazing and I think the entire ski industry and outdoor industry was ready for this and being like, this is amazing. It didn't change shit in the ski industry for another decade. Mm. And that was like, it almost felt like, yeah, we've got Ingrid in our film. We're good. Mm. There was no desire to Mm. foster more talent, to be like, wow, we gained a whole new audience. We're exploding the sport. Like I would go to ski movie premieres with Ingrid and the line for Ingrid was twice as long as any other person in there huh. i'd be there with bobby brown you'd be there with mark abma and ingrid was just like twice as long women and men just like this is mm. a god and what i saw and because it's watching elise's career like sure there was this new woman that was became an icon of the sport was in the top five was the a-list and it stuck stuck that way for another 10 years like it was i mean like it wasn't until 2009 when Michelle kind of entered into the fold. Sarah Burke had her, she, Sarah was in this movie and she always had a couple shots in every MSP movie and she was an icon of the sport. But when it came to like, especially free ride and backcountry, like the industry still wouldn't have more than one female on their athlete team. The ski movies wouldn't really have more than one, uh, female that was ski shooting in their ski movie. And it was just kind of like, it was weird because I remember that sensation because once I started to date Elisa, you're like, yeah, here's this resurgence and here's this chance that women are finally having in the industry. And then nothing really changed. It took a lot more work and a lot more time after, after Ingrid's segment, which I don't put that on Ingrid. It's just like, it was just like kind of interesting to look back at and think like how iconic this was and how 
it changed a lot. It inspired a lot of women, but it changed nothing within the industry. Mm. Let's talk a bit about um, what's aged the best from this film. I've got, I've actually got a number of things here. Well, then why don't you kick it off? Okay. Let's, uh, I want to hear some of your yeah, stuff. Yeah. We can go back and forth on it. Okay. How about that? So I had the opening of the movie. Uh, the first two minutes and 40 seconds of this film, this has to be in the running of best opening ever for a ski film, doesn't it? Wait, what, but what opening? Like what? The, the, the high school. The schoolyard scene? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, so it's funny because I have a little part of that and what it, what's aged the worst. Oh. But, <laughs> no. but I agree. The entire 90% of it was funny as hell. Like. I laughed when Douglas comes out as the like naughty school principal, like having an affair in the the janitorial closet, like just knowing Douglas very well as being like a very stand up straight arrow, just like, I don't know, the just good dude. He's Mr. Canada. And like the fact that they cast him to do that was amazing. So. But what? Why? I mean, I guess it is a pretty iconic intro. What stood out to you about to you? It's a completely iconic intro. I thought it yeah. was super fresh. It was funny. Um, another another very specific thing that I had in there in from that intro for what Sage the best, the logo placements. One of the most oh, yeah. creative use of logo placements. Um, that was extremely well done. Mark Abma completely looking the part of the high school dork when he is, in fact, one of the coolest and most interesting people in modern skiing as reference from the fact we go from Abma, the complete high school dork to the most badass looking human being on the planet while its time is being screamed, you know, so that's a hell of a transformation. Um, So just from the opening, I don't know how you can put that in the what's age the worst uh other than you know maybe 2023 sensibilities have changed a bit but i'm putting well, it in the I've, i'm putting it in the iconic opener bucket it is an iconic i think that's partly why the reason the movie is so memorable like i think it really stood out is like we're, we're calling this yearbook and we're gonna do this school setting like it, it's funny though too because like no one does intros like this anymore yeah. like i msp every year would have some big theme and they would fly out all the the athletes to some summer thing and do this like crazy intro and it was you know everything from i think the hit list was like i don't know some briefcase and like arresting everybody um to like they would do these like chase scenes and it was like an era where there was like a lot of thought and effort went into like how we're going to introduce the brands that's paid for this film and the athletes mm-hmm. that are starring in this in a unique and creative way. No one does that anymore. Now it's just like, well, I'm going to search for a PNG logo online and then I'm going to superimpose it in post-production somewhere. And I mean, if I get really creative, I'll make it like half hide behind a mountain so it looks really cool. This one, they're like tattooing it on like people's faces with a ball, <laughs> you know, like when the, the bouncy ball hits them in the face. Yeah. So. How, uh, so how, what do you, what do you got? How, wait, so how do you have that in the what's age the worst bucket? We'll get to it. Let's okay, go keep okay, going okay. to what age the best. All right. So um, what, what's your second thing? The shots of Abma skiing switch in a full face helmet. I absolutely loved like this would not happen today. Right. So dude skiing no. switch in a, 
skiing switch specifically in a full face helmet, things you don't see anymore, right? So I don't know. Yeah. I, I love that. I'm putting that in what's age the best, not what's age the worst. Uh, you already talked about Abma's wall ride at like eight minutes in. Fantastic. Seth's huge front flip at kind of 34 minutes into the film. I loved that. Uh, I also just wrote down Ingrid fucking Backstrom. We've already talked about that. Um, I feel strongly actually about all of these. Uh, uh, another one, the needle drop of Fugazi's waiting room, which is one of my all-time favorite songs. You get that at about 20 minutes into the film. I hate now following that up with what I wrote down next, but I, I still will. But I cannot tell you how happy I was to have Fugazi's waiting room uh, drop in this film. But then I did, the last thing I wrote down was Tanner Hall's segment, opening up to Lil Troy's Wanna Be a Baller. That, what, like, re-watching this, that just made me really happy, and it kind of felt like all is right with the world. Um, I, I, I don't know that others would share that sentiment, and so maybe I should have just stopped talking after Fugazi's waiting room. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was fitting. Like, you kind of go back into it, and, like, we all known Tanner and followed him for years and see what he's done in the ski industry but then all of a sudden to be like serious like hip-hop song for him mm -hmm. little Troy want to be a baller you're like oh yeah I remember that era with Tanner when there was like gorilla stees and it was just like super like hardcore rap and it was fitting like to the point where I was like I wonder if you know like did he demand that or did MSP like oh let's like you know this will fit him he'll actually like this you know like quite often in ski movie making we don't have any say what the song they use. Like, I swear for 10 years, I emailed Matchstick with like what I want my song to be. And they would do nothing but the opposite of what I suggested. And then years after I'd stopped filming with them, they would use the songs I suggested for other people. I'm like, what the hell, dude? So, but I just think about like, yeah, the, the, how that decision to use Lil Troy's song for Tanner went. What do you have under the what's age the best? I mean, it's like, I can't believe you missed it. Just Abma, like as a person, he is still filming in ski movies with Matchstick. And if he films next year, next year will be his 20th, 20th yeah. year in a row yeah. of filming. And he's still really good and deserving of being in it. Mm -hmm. He is, I think, 42 years old, hmm. probably be 43 in the middle of winter and still killing it. Like... The, I was trying to look, I was like thinking about like who's still in ski movies and like Abma, Candied, and yeah, like Ingrid's still doing some stuff, but I'm talking like we're doing athlete segment, 100% yeah. performance-based skiing. Because like, yeah, I'm still in ski movies, but like I don't really <laughs> jump off anything anymore. If I'm jumping off it, I got a rope attached to me. <laughs> this, this actually um, was one of my favorite things. You know, we had... Abma was out here for a, a, a blister speaker series event not too long ago. And you were so happy about this fact. You were like, oh my God, I love Abma. He's the best. And I just like, like skiers really appreciating other skiers and other human beings, you know? And, and it was just some just very genuine off record, uh, enthusiasm for all that is Mark Abma. And, uh, so yeah. yeah. He, he, he just a great it, human sure and that's part of the reason why he's still doing it is because he's a great human mm. like he's really amazing to be around like he you know uh a lot of times 
we think of like athletes and being at the prominence is just because of the athletic talents. Like, no, it's you want to be around that person. You want to be in the backcountry with that person. You want to go on trips with that person. That helps get you there. If you're an asshole or you lose cannon, those are the two quickest ways to get yourself out of the ski industry or kind of any industry for that matter. Mm-hmm. But, um, but Amma, because he's such a good person and he's still killing it. So that okay. to me, Amma has like physically aged the best, like Tom Brady. He's our Tom Brady of skiing. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and then I've got one really random one. And this, uh, I don't want it to sound creepy, but I looked up who the schoolgirls were. <laughs> Too late. Because <laughs> Too late, Cody. People, it sounds it, creepy. Like, no. I know our job here, though, what we try to do is like deep dive into these movies and find all these little details that you might miss when you watch it the first time. And so the the credits came up, they're literally labeled as schoolgirls. So I looked up the two that were listed there and it looks like they aged the best because one is a lawyer and one is a clinically trained uh, psychiatrist. So like of all the people that are in that movie, they seem to have some of the best, highest paying jobs and the most educated of the bunch. So, so good for them for standing in as like, you know, schoolgirls, uh-huh. um, and then becoming very successful. So I think they they might have uh, aged the best as well. Okay, all right. Do you want to go to best lines or best quotes from the film, or what's aged the worst? We're gonna do those two things. You pick the order. Let's go. Which aged the worst okay. first? Okay. So, and I kind of there's like two little things in the opening since we'll start right with that, and that is the schoolgirls thing, like. That it was just like of that era, which seems like re- like the Britney Spears yeah. baby got back in I think that was 1999, and then to hear that obsession with it, like schoolgirls, like not a good obsession to have. I'm sorry, like Catholic schoolgirls, we we know the abuse that has happened in that world. It's just like to me, like. That was this weird little phase in the 90s, early 2000s, and going back to it, you just is like, ooh, this, this feels off mm-hmm. because the, the reality of context. So that, um, but, and I guess it didn't age the worst, but I just wanted to point it out in the intro. Tanner being the only person, like, very serious and not being a goofball was quite, it, it was unintentionally funny. Because you're watching it and he's like kind of like acting like hard and whatnot while everyone's playing dodgeball around him looking like total goofballs. <laughs> I was like, that was, I couldn't get him to like just soften up a little bit for one shot, but eh, that was Tanner at that time. So he didn't. Hmm. So anything else for you? Uh, I had a few things. Uh, clutch, the band, like they sucked back then and they still <laughs> sucked listening to him 20 years later. Yeah. Like, I, it was just like, I remember then you're like, yeah, like Overseer, the, the opening song, we yeah. talked about it, yeah. it being like, it's rap rock. It was of that era, but it still had a strong beat and carried oh. it like clutch. Like they, ah, no. I remember back then thinking this sucks and it definitely still sucks. Um, Pollard getting caught in back to back avalanches. Yeah. yeah. That didn't age so well. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, it was kind of one of these things where you're like, we might have want to just remove that or given a little bit more context. But again, it was of that. That yeah. era was a different time. Like our focus on safety, our focus on avalanches. While you were going out there, you're understanding, you're putting yourself in avalanche terrain. But like the way we made decisions, the focus on making ski movies, it wasn't quite to what the level is now. So uh, that didn't age. And then by far, this one was the one that aged the worst was Shane's monoski base jump front flip to line entanglement. Like watching that with 
the context yeah. of what happened five years later like it was really like i was like oh my god i didn't know like he almost like that was really really close to dying in that shot and it was just in the crash segment mm -hmm. um and knowing what happened later on you was kind of like i'd always had this enigma that like you know shane was perfect he was better than everybody and seeing that you're like oh that was loose uh -huh. so anyways those do you have any on what's age worst yeah and i think my what's age the worst we've already talked around this a little bit but i think these will be interesting things to just discuss um the first thing i wrote down which you actually i think correctly praised the film for and praised agma's segments for was this mix of big mountain and kind of park skiing right where we we see through the film like we're we're watching big lines and people jumping off big natural features and then we kind of cut over to these skiers in the park and you know nearly 20 years later watching it again there as you spoke to watching it in 2004 that was new that was fresh these folks were doing something truly new and different i think 19 years later I found myself either just wanting to see the big mountain stuff all together and then sort of letting the park stuff have its own segments in time, but mixing them both or kind of moving back and forth felt actually a little kind of jarring to me or disconnected hmm. um, all these years later. Whereas at the time, though, I completely acknowledge that would have been the fresh thing. I think maybe what it points to is. We've gotten a lot, we've seen a lot more of that over the last 19 years, right? With park skiers making the move into big mountain skiing, park tricks getting taken into the backcountry. So to me, that, that didn't age that well. Um, even if we, you know, acknowledge that it, it certainly was new and novel and different in 2004. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't, I didn't, I didn't think about that and I still, I can't quite comp comprehend what you're saying in a certain way because it just i have such a different experience with it so but i'm not regarding your take as invalid like i can understand what you're saying so um you know one of my things of like which is just me as uh as a skier is like the very long park segments i felt like there was quite a lot of them yeah. and i back in the day would fast forward through them and i found myself kind of starting to fast forward through them this time but that's because like i'm obsessed with free ride skiing mm -hmm. backcountry skiing that kind of style of skiing it was i was the way that since yeah since i would watch this movie when i was what, 19 years old 20 years old no i was a little older yeah i was 20 years old when this came out mm -hmm. by the way so. since we're going to be doing this all the time maybe we need to have a conversation about what we mean by what's aged the worst like if mm, we if yeah. we just if we mean sort of you know are we i mean it can mean a, a number of things but i guess for me i'm thinking about thinking of it in terms of what doesn't feel fresh as fresh as yeah. exciting today maybe what feels a little bit stale um maybe what you know i think a couple when we when we talked about NAR, I feel like you've been hitting harder and, and actually when we talked about apocalypse snow, right under what's age the worst, 
Jay Bob brought up sort of backcountry safety and etiquette there, you know, and so I, I don't know, maybe it can mean all of those things, but I guess it means either what just we kind of felt was boring. I don't know. How do, how do you think about the what's age I've, the worst I, question? I look at it as watching it 20 years later, what's kind of shocking to you because our world has changed so much yeah. that you're looking back in time. So that's kind of what I see about it and or just like what what isn't standing the test of time. Because like when it comes down to it, like looking at this movie as a whole, like I was actually talking to Douglas about this just a couple of days ago, like Douglas's segment He's doing like threes off cliffs and natural features, flat spins off natural features, inlines and whatnot. And you're like, that skiing still holds up mm -hmm. today. Like yeah. you could put that segment in a movie today and it wouldn't be that different. So I look at what's the reverse of that. Like what could not necessarily hold up today? Like what would you want not one in it yeah. if you showed the ski movie today? And to me, like talking back to back avalanches like getting caught in an avalanche and then going we just moved over zones and yeah, then i got caught in another again. giant one yeah. <laughs> you're like yeah. like yep i don't want to start it smaller so that's what i'm kind of uh the frame of reference i'm taking with it okay okay well here's the other thing that i had for my what's age the worst and this might be rather controversial but i just wrote the ski base jumping like oh i i i have a that as well and something okay um, I just, I think again, in 2004, I could have, I could imagine there being this like wow factor. We've sort of never seen this. And all these years later, it's like, well, we have seen it. It hasn't really grown. And no, for some reasons where, you know, there are a few incredible folks out there certainly doing it, but it certainly hasn't grown and it 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 feels to me a bit out of place or it felt to me a bit out of place watching it today right so i had this in the segment or our segment any scene you'd cut uh -huh. and i literally put all of shane's ski base jumping yeah but not in the say like it wasn't entertaining it wasn't part of the film in the fact like like he never did it like he never got into it because of what has happened yeah. to a lot of my friends that were base jumpers locally and skydivers like a lot of what's happened in the entire world with base jumping and skydiving. Like at that time, they didn't think it was as dangerous as it ended up being. Mm. And that's where it is hard to watch. Like going back and watching the film before Focused when he started to get into it and watching this and this whole segment was ski base jumping. And even back in the day, it was a little like, that's a lot of ski base jumping. Like I even felt that there's some amazing shots of it, but then it was like over and over. And I was like, I'd want to see Shane just ski, ski. because he's so good yep. at that. That like, to me, it felt like there was too much of it. And then you keep moving forward and it is hard to know. Like that is why, how Shane died. Mm -hmm. That is, you know, how Eric Rohner died, even though it was a parachuting accident different. It's the same kind of thing. That's how my buddy Timmy Dutton died. That's how like, a few other friends locally have died. It was just getting into these air sports. And it was just like, yeah, it's hard to watch. Like as much as mind blowing it is, like when you know the context and he's like, how Shane's describing his revelation in the sport and skiing where other people aren't going. And you're like, yeah, stop, buddy. Just don't do it because mm -hmm. it fucking sucks that you're gone. Mm -hmm. Time to move on to best line or best quote. I had two here. Um, I had two here too. So let's get you, sh you shoot first. Okay. 
Um, we keep ping ponging back and forth on this, but I, I just really like uh, Tanner Hall talking about moving into big mountain skiing. And he has a quote. He just says, I'd really like to just be able to do anything off of anything. I wrote that same one down. I didn't have it there, but yeah, just do anything off of anything. I'd really like to Legendary just be quote. able to do anything off of anything. I love that. I I really love that. And again, pointing, it's such a good quote to point to that specific point in time, right? Which we've already talked about. So I love that. The other one I have is back into one of the classroom scenes, which is Shane up on the at the chalkboard doing some you know big equation and he just ends with um uh where would his impact hot tub be anyone <laughs> i just i don't anyone? know that that just that made me laugh so those are kind of my two favorites from the film i had it's it's gonna go back it's almost repetitive but i had ingrid's uh cheer b-i-t-c-h what's that spell new girl and like it's so the whole thing with Ingrid is like she dresses up like a cheerleader and then does a cheer and it's B-I-T-C-H. What's that spell? New girl like is so counter to her personality uh, entirely <laughs> that, that it was like it's actually a great way to enter it because you you see this new girl come up. That's how in- Ingrid is introduced to the world. And that's how she introduced herself as a cheerleader saying B-I-T-C-H. What's that spell? New girl. And then you figure out she's not like that at all. But uh, that, and then, and then Abma is like, I got the ball, I got the ability, and I got the sock. Like, like the fake BDE energy. Like, I liked that. <laughs> that's gonna be that's gonna be the breakout clip from from this conversation. The fake BDE energy. I like that. Yeah. Says Cody breathlessly. Yeah. Okay, okay. Those are solid contenders. I think. Where do you want to go next? Oh, where did I? Let's, uh, I mean, there was a lot of these, but the, the blister plus who needed it the most who needed, who needed blister plus injury coverage the most. Yeah. What did you have? Yeah. I had Hugo Harrison on what was that, the face that Ingrid skis, um, in the opener, her first shot or a segment, it's that same face. It's just a line a little bit over and it was renamed after his crash, Harrison Hopital, like Harrison Hospital in French. Like, I don't know what it was named before then, but when I skied that face, they called it Harrison Hospital because he went to the hospital right after that crash. And his first bounce, when he like high sides, he bounces like 150 feet plus down the slope and goes into absolute one of the most violent tomahawks of all time. And that crash is, yeah, it's legendary. I actually got to my very first uh, ski segment with Warren Miller ever was like about a month after that crash. And I got to do the segment with Hugo and he was still sore and he was still hurting from that. He didn't like break anything, necessarily sprain anything, but he was like still skiing gingerly after that crash and he was like describing it to me and i was like whoa that sounds really bad and then you watch it on film you're like well that's on a different level yeah so well he was canadian so of course he has good health insurance (laughs) but i'm learning all these like exceptions and like where i talked about this with abma actually because mark was like i need blister plus and so yeah you know there are exceptions in certain skiing and exactly where you're covered and what where i'm learning this is actually 
less straightforward in certain countries than at least I used to think. But um, man, there are a number of contenders in this movie. So yeah. Seth Morrison's tomahawk, which resulted in him dislocating his shoulder and breaking his arm. I wrote down, well, if if he had needed it, his backcountry evacuation would have been covered by Blister Plus up to $25,000 um, and or his medical expenses from the dislocated shoulder and broken arm would have been covered up to $25,000 with a $0 deductible. And then there's another one we should probably talk about. Mike Wilson's monster huge park jump where he blew up his heels, tore his ACL, his MCL. The The list of things this dude did uh, is huge, and it sounded awful. And anyway, um, same deal. Uh, I think that probably was a day where, <laughs> where Mike could have used some Blister Plus injury insurance. And, uh, and these are just the things that where they like explicitly are talking about the injuries, let alone some of the other face plants and... Sarah Burke is going down hard on some rails and uh, anyway, a lot of carnage in this film. Oh, there's a, a full crash segment. <laughs> like it's, it's, you realize you, you have to crash a lot to make that, you know, a whole thing progressive of a ski film because <laughs> there's going to be a lot of, cra of violent crashes. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mike Wilson shorting like that 140 foot double. That was oh, so violent looking. I remember he says before he's like, wanted to do something memorable or yeah. something like that. You're like, yeah, yeah, you did something memorable. Yeah. That's for sure. You sure did. The other, there's a few other little things I'd like to. So we have our segment. I, I need answers. Yeah. Did you have any, I need answers? No, Cause I'm I have gonna, two. I'm going to give you this one. I have. Oh, why were Tanner Hall's pants so wet? <laughs> did you notice that from the knee down his entire segment? They're just soaking wet. He has like kind of big baggy gray pants on. And then below is like, dark gray just looking soaking wet like what were they made of did he have like cotton outerwear like i don't even remember who his sponsor was but like I, that was kind of tripped me out um and then the i still do not know the answer to this but what the b stands for in ionic b ionic b you know that guy he's in the he's got kind of a little short segment but like i still don't know it i could probably google it but yeah. never did i was always wondering like, should I have gone into like my pro ski career with just like a Cody T? No one knows probably. my last name. Probably would, would have been cooler that way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think you should, you probably should have done exactly that. You you would have had a much much better career, Cody. Probably. I always joke I should have just gone into snowboarding. I would have got paid a lot more. <laughs> they get paid a lot more than us. There's still time. We've been talking about this. Join me. Yeah, totally. For Join sure. me this season. Yeah. Um, this is when I'm, I'm looking forward to finally make my breakout, right. As a, uh, <laughs> as a pro snow sports person, it's going to be snowboarding and it starts this, this season. So keyword break. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> best cameo. Yeah. Did you, you have anything would, for that? No. What did you, you like, this is your, you love this one. So what's your, your totally. What would you have? Well, so this is just a little known fact that very few people would know, but good riddance punk band from santa cruz they're in this movie i forget the exact segment but they're they're used in this movie chuck platt was also listed as the team manager of giro um giro was a company based in santa cruz he sponsored helped sponsor the film via giro he was also the bassist for good riddance 
So I found that pretty interesting that like he, this full circle cameo of like, I'm not only sponsoring your film, but I'm also making music for your film. So, um, that was a little one. And then I thought the best part was Sean Pettit with Sean misspelled as an 11 year old. That was to me the best kind of cameo. He has two shots in the film. He's 11 years old and they misspelled his name. Um, little did they know probably what he was going to turn into. Uh huh. <laughs> okay, those are good. I feel like we've kind of already covered our Gimme Less Award. So I, I don't, mm-hmm. so we can move on. But I do want to talk about the Gimme More Award. Is there yeah, yeah. anything you'd want to see more of in this film or see the film explore further? Uh, more Hoji. Always. Like, Hoji has everything. like eight. Yeah, Hoji has like eight shots of in this movie, maybe six. And they're all incredible. Like to the point I kind of forgot how talented of a park skier he was. Uh-huh. Like his like he does this pole plant cork seven or cork nine off this like double feature in the Mammoth Park. And it is just like one of the most smooth, candied esque, hmm. stylish cork. I think it was a seven. I forget if he landed switch or not. But it's just like beautiful. And you're like, of course. Like and I just kind of wondered, I was like, why wasn't Hoji more in this film? Granted, he'd go on to do that, but it's yeah. He has like this, he, he comes in as like the overacting award where you only have a couple shots and just you're in, you completely try to send it. Like his six shots are the, like the most, the best six shots in the film. Yeah. By the way, we've almost talked for an hour and Mm. we only mentioned Hoji an hour in. We didn't even mention him at the top when we were like, try to just rattle off the top of your head. Who's actually in this film. Another yeah. another point to show uh, how stacked this film is. Uh, that's a great yeah. one. I love that one. Anything else you had for the Gimme More? No, just Hoji. Okay. Yep. I had two. The, the, the big one for me, a dream would be to just take that opening scene. And I know we kind of cut back quite a bit to kind of the high school. But take that and actually build out the entire film. Like, so this would then be taking the movie more along the lines of like better off dead. But I, I am ready. I'm prepared to watch Mark Abma as the high school dork for give me 40 minutes of that. Give me Mike Douglas, you know, uh, as an administrator. Give me McConkie as a teacher. I would just watch that without any skiing, actually. But we could sprinkle a yeah. little skiing in there. So you could give me more of that and I'd be super happy. Like Saved by the Bell 2, but with that cast. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Actually, it's a really good idea. Like, you could definitely turn that into a Netflix series. There you go. So, that's, we, yeah, I would love to see that. Um, The other thing I had, there's like a five second clip of Tanner skateboarding. And I would definitely watch another like four to five minutes of that. Because for me, I think it's always interesting to see a great skier or uh, frankly, any great athlete doing some other athletic thing. So I, I could have easily handled, uh, you know, four or five minutes of Tanner just, just skating around. That's good. I couldn't. <laughs> Cody, stop. Cody, we, we agreed on the first one. You don't, you don't want I, I'm that. I'm generally of the mindset of like, like, like I'm a decent surfer. Like I can get barreled. I can make turns and like hit the lip. Never should we have a surf segment in a ski film of me. Just like, don't do it. Don't put 
you your secondary sport as a professional athlete in a ski film it just never holds up and it looks kind of stupid in my opinion so that's where it's just like i the the shot of just skateboarding around the streets that's just kind of a lifestyle shot a full like skate segment i mean there are some like legit like kai peterson is like legit really good skateboarder so he could maybe pull it off but he's pretty much a freak athlete so but in general in that era i remember Quite often, people would want to have shots of them doing other sports in there, and it was just like, don't do it. Don't do it. Okay. Buzz buzz killing on that one. Okay. The Trying Too Hard Award. What did you have under this one? I had kind of two parts. Like, Douglas, although I already said his segment was stands the test of time, I think his entire segment was slow-mo. Like, it was, like, pretty ridiculous. There was, like, not one real speed shot until, like, I don't know, a minute and a half in. It was just like, come on, guys. This is why a few years later, everyone started making fun of ski movies. It was just all slow-mo. So, like, they really amped that up. And then the other thing, the 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 B-roll. The, the athlete intros to segments in Bella Coola, where, like, they had Douglas going around that like rock pile and then Ingrid doing like this stop motion on the beach thing. Like you could tell that they were had a lot of down days and they were trying to think up of a lot of creative ways to shoot B-roll. And it was just a, like a, a couple of the shots are good. And then you got like, OK, this is all a little bit ridiculous. That was what I looking back on it. You're like, that was kind of stupid. I, so. I, I got to confess, I enjoyed all those. So, uh, mm, cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, Okay, the attention span award. Is this film too short, too long, or just right? I'd say it's too long. Yeah. But I think, like, it's hard to not make a ski movie that's not too long. Like, because especially ski movies like this, where you have such a varied, like, breadth of disciplines, of some rail stuff, some backcountry kicker stuff, all this stuff, no matter what, I think you're going to gravitate towards... I don't know, a certain style of skiing, a certain yeah. like aspect of the sport, and you're going to be more drawn to those. But like, in order to capture a large audience, you kind of need to have a little bit of both. So ultimately, there's segments that I tend to fast forward, but I guarantee there was people that if I'm, yeah. sorry, Steel Spence, if I'm fast forwarding through Steel Spence's segment, there's other people fast forwarding through Hugo Harrison's right. segment. And that's just the way it is. So Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You get literally yes. everything in it. There's 10 movies in this one movie. Right. And we've already talked about how many stars are in this. You could you could take one or two of these athletes, break out their own films, you know, to anchor them. So this kind of this sort of is like the kitchen sink movie or the 10 films in one movie. And I think there's too much. They've packed too many phenomenal skiers and interesting segments in. And it's hard to blame anybody for that. But I think that is why. While we've praised this and been like, it is a one of one kind of film with how many different folks showed up into this thing. It is maybe why it also feels like it's just overload. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I agree. Um, Recasting couch who back then could have been the alternate stars (laughs) answer. It had every star i mean there was the tgr crew but yeah. like so you bring sage and micah black and jeremy nobison like just 
this like superhuman TGR MSP film that that's like three hours long. I don't know. There, yeah, I don't think you could. It's, this was it. This yeah. is the pinnacle. There's no there's no room on the bus. This is like if, yeah. if the bus rolls up and you're waiting to get on. They're like, we are literally at capacity. We just have to keep it mm-hmm. moving. So, yeah, there's no totally. one else who should have been uh, in this film. I guarantee 20 years ago, I had who I wanted to see Ooh. star in that movie. And that was me. I was like desperate to be in that film. And I ended up being in the very next film. Well, sort of. We'll get into that movie one day. It's kind of a legendary story by this point. Okay. But uh, but yes, back then it was like, I want to be in that movie. There was no room on the bus, Cody. No, there was not. I did not fit into that legendary bus. This is tough. I mean, if you shot the film today, remade the film today, who would you want to see star in it? I think this is where maybe we just have to say we're in a different landscape today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, totally. Like we're in a completely different landscape. I think this, that's what ski movies are. They represent um, a, a year. They represent a chunk of skiing at that time. And so that was, yeah, I, I don't think, I mean, I'm trying to think like, how would you open it up? anyone different and would you replace ingrid with someone else like a kate Isla or something You're like no that was ingrid that was that's iconic it changed everything so hmm. yeah not applicable to this to this film that question next question how well would this exact film work if it came out today exactly as it is right so it never was released in 2004 we just msp's like here's our new ski film and they dropped exactly this i think with Different soundtrack, if you just had old modern music. I think if you had modern digital cameras and like POV cameras that actually could like capture a little bit of detail, like it's almost indistinguishable to modern ski films. Mm. Like it really stood up the test of time. Look, looking at the level of skiing then, like hell, they even like one of the most iconic shots I think of this film is there's the, the Whistler Blackcomb jump on Seventh Heaven. The gray, dark background helicopter, and there's a shot opening where Tanner Hall is spinning. I don't know if they do him show. It's a guy in the sky kind of shot. He's spinning some sort of 720, 900, 1080, and the is kind of rotating with his rotation, and it looks like just the most mind-blowing shot, and that was just shot out of the helicopter door, not with a Cineflex or anything, and like to me, that shot is, it looked like it came out of the art of flight. And it was just a 16 millimeter camera on somebody's shoulder as they flew around in a helicopter hanging out the door. So there's so much of it. I I think you could release it today with modern, with better cameras and, and a better soundtrack. And you'd be like, is this, this came out last year? Everyone did this? So the fact is, I guess to technically answer the question, if it exactly dropped today, the cinematography it wouldn't be as sharp and crisp as we get now from today's cameras, but the yeah. the skiing itself, you're saying, would totally hold up. Totally hold up. Yep. Yes, like, yes, so you, you see what, like, Craig Murray and Logan Bohoda and some of these guys who are just doing incredible tricks, but, like, honestly, it's not that much different than what you see here. Mm-hmm. Um, like, they're... What you see Abma skiing in this film, what the, the tricks you see in the park. And yeah, sure. Now they're all doing triple corks, but ultimately like I'd rather see a really stylishly grabbed switch 1080 than a like whipped around mm-hmm. triple cork. Mm-hmm. So to me, like 
as far as a ski film, it stands the test of time. Yep. Could this movie get made today? I think the answer is no. But isn't it getting made? That's what MSP and TGR movies kind of still are. No, I mean, they're, no. they've taken little twists. No, okay. because what do, got, you, what do you mean by that? We've got, I don't know, close to 20. You'd have to take every top level skier on earth and get them all mm. to come in to make one film together. I don't think there are yeah. budgets there to do that. I don't, I don't logistically, it couldn't happen. While, while again, this is Ingrid's breakout film. You'd have to say the film was made today with all of the today's A-lister, most famous skiers, but then also you'd have to be real confident that the up-and-comers 19 years later would then have become A-listers as well. There's way too many X-factors there to where I just think it breaks down. I don't think you can make this movie today, which is also why I'd say to the answer of the kind of related question, should a modern version should a remake of this film get made today i i I think it all breaks down it does you i mean in order to get a movie of this caliber made you needed a lot of budget back in the day 20 years ago ellie skiing cost a third as much as it does now Hmm. companies budgets this was the golden era of athletes being paid of budgets going into ski movies you know this was an era of X Games where, you know, it was rumored that like Tanner and Yoon and like Simon Dumont, all those guys were making three to $500,000 a year. Um, to ski movie companies where each like Solomon's thrown in 150, Smith has thrown 100. There was a lot of money getting thrown around as this sport took off. Unless you're getting Red Bull cash, like the outdoor industry is not putting that much money into one, it's athletes, two, into the budgets, three, like the amount of helicopters that are in this film, like it's practically all shot either out of a heli or all the segments are shot with helis. Like it's just, they don't do that anymore. Like there's no chance. But when you come to the star power, like there's an interesting, I feel like we're in a weird transition within athletes in general, because a lot of the people that became stars from this film are still the stars now. And these younger generations of incredible, incredibly good skiers are finding it very difficult to become that a list star. Like this was an era when stars were made because there wasn't social media. There wasn't 50 different channels to watch like there wasn't just this plethora of content out there and you got to sift through it to figure out who is the best it goes back to the whole like monoculture argument like msp and tgr and poor boys they created the monoculture of skiing so everyone in skiing saw abma segment abma segment this year a tenth of skiing season because of well I watch stuff on for free on YouTube. I watch what comes out on Red Bull TV. I don't go to ski movie premieres. I only go to TGR movies. There's just so mm-hmm. much out there. So in that regard, just to list 20 A-list skiers would be really difficult. Yeah. And I think it's okay to say that's something that we are, you know, ideally hoping to change a little bit, right? Like yeah. through these conversations, shine a light back on some of these interesting significant films of the past but also shine a light on some of the new stuff coming out to try to um 
just bring a bit more attention and shine a light on on some of these projects. And hopefully that ends up being good for up and coming athletes, for filmmakers and the rest. And, uh, you know, in addition to it just being a whole lot of fun to do. But um, that's certainly something that you and I have been intentional about with this podcast and with the Blister Awards. Um, and, you know, not not try to fight against social media and the amazing edits that people are dropping there, but to sort of give proper due to some of these longer length features, right? Um, so that they don't just get lost in the rather steady stream of of content that it now we're kind of inundated with. So who won the movie? Um, my first was Jibbers wearing full faces. Yeah. Like, it was so funny to see, like, Seth Morrison kind of made full faces pretty popular because it seemed like he needed him. He was going so big. But then it was like to see CR and Pollard and Abma. It's almost as if, like, they didn't, they just got a memo that, like, hey, if you're doing big mountain skiing, you should wear a full face. Yeah. <laughs> and so they're all wearing full faces, kind of like ultra prepared. I'm a backcountry skier. I'm a big mountain skier because I got a full face on. Uh, it was shocking to to see that. Oh yeah, they wore full faces back then. What do we think about like does do full face helmets for skiers? Should that have gone under what's age the worst? We have not. They're 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 used less than ever before. Not more yeah, than definitely. ever before, right? Yeah, totally. But that's what was funny because it wasn't even. Well, I forget if Seth was in one, but like just. The full faces in general, yeah. There was a quick little blip of time. So, okay. You think that's who won the movie? Jibbers in full face? <laughs> well, I'm trying to come up with some like more creative <laughs> stuff. But, I mean, the obvious answer is, like, it's Abma and Ingrid. Abma and And Ingrid. it's skiing as a whole, kind of this era. So, yeah. Yeah. I actually had a three-way tie for who won the movie. Uh, okay. Ingrid, Abma... Yeah. And then whoever it was that got Fugazi's waiting room actually in the film, that that person, I'm buying that person a beer. Those are my three. Yeah, back in the day when it was like, I don't know, just getting good music in ski films seemed a little bit easier. Granted, there would be full-time music supervisor mm -hmm. would spend all off-season doing this, but like, it's so hard to get music these days, and I'm not entirely sure why, but... um yeah, when there used to be like really good music and ski films. Hmm. All right. Last question. Our final grades. And we we might need to be doing some tweaking on our grading system. It's it's admittedly yeah. um it's admittedly a bit questionable, but from sort of worst to best is how I think of these. From worst to best on our grading scale, overrated, properly rated, underrated. Is this film a modern classic? Is this film actually an all-timer? Or is this the single best film in its class? Again, I'm open to revising these a little bit, but what? how do you think of this film? Where do you slot it? It slots between underrated to Pantheon. It's somewhere in that realm. Because like, it's almost through going back and watching it and seeing it. And I can see some of the parts that lags and kind of the, some, some certain flaws to it with, with time that you see. But ultimately I really look at it and go realize with this roster, with the, how they covered the sport, with the icons that came out of it, with like the, the first 
MSP film where it's not Seth Morrison and Shane McConkie carrying the majority of the film. It really is an underrated film, but it goes into like, no, this is actually kind of iconic for that era. Mm -hmm. Like if you had to, if you had to say, hey, what was skiing like in the mid 2000s? Which film should I watch? Mm -hmm. You'd give them your book. Mm -hmm. be like, this kind of covers it. Like Shane's getting into ski base jumping. Ingrid's the best damn skier on the planet. Abma is like combining backcountry and free ride into a totally new form. You've got Tanner. Like, it's just like, it covers kind of the entire sport in such a way and defines it. So it's in the, I kind of think it's a Pantheon film. Mm -hmm. That's where I'd actually settle on. I I think given, we've talked about it a lot, but just the star power of this film, you could make the case this is the single best film in its class based on its star power. I I would Mm -hmm. love people to tell us what, what other films had more <laughs> had more superheroes in it? Um, mm-hmm. But then beyond that specific I- criteria, if we're looking at the overall thing, I-, I think I agree with you. It has to be in the pantheon slash all timer. Calling it a modern classic feels like it's not giving it enough due. Yeah. Um, so for star power, I don't know that there's ever been anything better or there's ever been more. But I think overall, we, we're going to call it a pantheon or all-timer. Yeah, I, I think we, we settled on it. I agree with it. Well, Cody, that's your book. I guess I'll spill the beans. I am thinking for next year, September 2024, I think we're going to do another revisiting of this film, talk to some of the athletes in it, talk to a director perhaps. But I think um, I think there's more meat on this bone, and we'll do a proper 20th anniversary uh, revisiting. And and um, I just have to think there's a lot of backstories and the rest to still come from the shooting of this thing. And uh, so, yeah, hope we all make it to September of next year uh, for the for the proper 20th anniversary episode. I agree with you that. Awesome. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> no, I agree. There's so much. There's so much more. I want to. I have. I want to talk to Abma. What it was like filming big lines for the first time. Like he kind of talks about it, but like get those stories of what it felt like as a mobile skier, park skier, jumping out of a heli and skiing these lines for the first time. Like those kind of things. It's like yeah, they're, they're pretty fascinating. So yeah, all time film. All time pantheon. Hey man, appreciate it as always, and um, look forward to the next one. Likewise. All right, well, that is a wrap on our sixth episode of Blister Cinematic. And as many of you know, we often say around here that once you've listened to five episodes, uh, whether it's the Blister podcast or Gear 30 or whatever, once you've listened to five episodes, if you made it to episode number six and you're still tuning in, well, we would very much love it if you would leave us a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. And let us know what you think. We hope you're enjoying these conversations as much as we are enjoying having them. And your ratings and reviews will help us just keep this whole thing going and growing. And of course, you're also welcome to hit us up on the socials or send us an email. Uh, Let us know what films you most want to see us cover on Blister Cinematic. And we're writing it all down. We're keeping close tabs. So yeah, leave us a rating or review if you are digging this Blister Cinematic thing so far. 
and we'll keep striving to make them better and better with hopefully only the occasional spectacular ragdoll and catastrophic crash. Now, finally here, I also want to say thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode, and thanks again to all of you for listening. Until next time, please take good care of yourself, and that means make sure you've got decent insurance, check out our Blister Plus coverage, and then tell your friends, spread the word, so that all of us are getting ourselves protected. All right, everybody, thanks, and we will talk to you again real soon.